Well, I just want to say, uh, first of all, good evening, and I'm so glad that uh, you're here today to, to just start off the new year with church on a Saturday night. Come on, this is kind of, I wasn't sure this would ever happen at Connect, but here we are, everybody. Um, I'm, I'm pumped to be with you guys. Happy New Year, everyone. Everybody have a good New Year. Yeah, good. Everybody's healthy, happy. Praise the Lord. Hey, let's just open with a word of prayer as we kind of get into the next segment of the, the service. Father, I pray that you just continue to bless this church. Thank you for sending your son into this world to save us. We've recently celebrated his first coming. We anticipate his second. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that was left when he, when Jesus, your son, ascended and he remains and he's with us to, to help us and to guide us and to comfort us. And even as the song we just sang just a few moments ago, uh, to help and to heal. We thank you that we have a Holy Spirit uh, like that. And we're so grateful. And we just ask that you stay with us in this service and, and in this series. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Hey, do what we always do. Turn your neighbors say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Come on. Poke them really good. Poke them really good. Amen. I'm having difficulties with my iPad for some reason. There we go. So we're, uh, we're going to start a new series today. And it's entitled uh, Clean House. And today, uh, today the message is going to be called No Dirty Houses. And so how apropos that the, uh, the message opener would deal with that. I was thinking, uh, my wife and I just got, got a little getaway right after Christmas, a couple days home, and then we, we went away for a few days. And um, I think you're like me. You know what it's like when you go away and, and then you, uh, you come back to a dirty house. There's like nothing worse, right? You're rested, but then you got to go right back into work mode. And, and I hate that. And so the only way that we're going to come back to a clean house is if we left in a clean house. Amen. And if we didn't leave it, to get back to that place of peace and to that, that place of joy and that, and that place uh, of just like relaxation, uh, we're going to have to sometimes take some time out and clean house. And so there's a parallel that all of you guys can see, and you can see where, where this points um, in this uh, series that we're going to be in, because none of us like to live in a dirty house. And I just want to say something to you at the outset, neither does God. Neither does God. God does not uh, like to live in a dirty house. And, and so he won't, in a sense, allow us to leave it uh, that way. In fact, um, as we go into this series, we're going to talk about different aspects of our house that need to be cleaned. Today is just kind of an intro, kind of an opener, but we're going to talk about kind of clean habits. We're going to talk about clean hearts. We're going to talk about clean heads, clean health. Amen. Are you guys ready for this series? So we just, let's just buckle up because I think one of the ways that we can uh, promote and project success in 2024 is just making sure that there's no dirty houses and that God resides in. Amen? Amen. And I think this will be good for us. So I want to say, first of all, welcome to all those that are watching online and those that may see this tomorrow in all the locations. Can you guys just give it up for the Connect family? We're here celebrating in person, but we're celebrating you as well, and we hope that uh, you can enjoy this experience with us. Now, for all of us who are listening online, but also who are here, uh, I want to give you a little bit of theology, and this message has got some bite to it. 
uh, I think. We'll, we'll see kind of how it comes out. But when you got saved, I think uh, when you gave your life to Christ, that language may be unfamiliar for a few people, but most of you understand, when that happened, God lives in you. God uh, resides in you. He, or you could say he made residence uh, in you. And you have, in that moment, you became a temple of the living God. Can I have an amen out there? And so, it, you know, where is God's house? Is this God's house or is this God's house? See, you are God's house. You are God's temple. Everybody say that. Say, I am the temple of God. I am God's house. I am God's house. He lives in you. The almighty God lives now in you. Uh, Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 24 talks about this, and it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. You are, according to scripture, God's house. The temple's not built by human hands. That's not what we're celebrating. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple uh, that people went to worship in, that was a, a, a picture, a, a pattern, a, a prophecy. It's loaded with far more than, than, um, than symbolism. All of the, um, let's say, pictures of what we see in the temple and even inside the temple have lessons for us that we can learn. And I hope that you see a couple of those uh, today because they go far beyond certain Jewish traditions or customs. And today you're going to see a clear parallel between the old temple where people went to church and the new temple where we are the church. In, in other words, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. Does that make sense, everybody? And, and I want this to pop for you. You are the temple of God. It's very significant. It is, it's, it's, theolo it's theology that you desperately need, but it needs, to, it needs to connect with your heart. It needs to connect with your heart before it to manifest uh, in your life. It, it, it has to enter your mind and your heart that you are you're the temple of God. Because most people think when they get saved, it's just about uh, going to heaven. And, and it is about going to heaven, but that's really more the result of getting saved. Are you with me, everybody? That's not what it's necessarily all about. Salvation is not getting man off of earth into heaven. Salvation is getting God out of heaven into man. And, and, and that's, that revelation connects to this idea that you are a temple. So when you get saved, God moves into you. God moves into you. You become a temple of God. And so as, as a result, you have to kind of ask a question. At some point, if this is true, are you a fit temple for God? This is where the ouches come from. And, and, and when you think fit, I want you to think in a broader sense. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it talks about fit for the master's use. God wants you to be fit for his use. That's every, every part of your life. What part of this temple is keeping, what fitness area is keeping you useful for your master? It's quiet in here. <laughs> so um, some college students, I heard this example uh, of these college kids, and, and they, um, they had a mascot. And, and, and the mascot they had, uh, they, they got was a goat, 
literally, a goat, a goat, okay? And, and so they realized that when they got this mascot, foolishly, they didn't have a place for it to live. So one of the guys in the dorm said, well, he can live with us. To which the other roommate said, well, what about the smell? To which the other guys on the floor said, oh, the goat will get used to that. <laughs> See, college boys can have a dirty house. But God will not live in a dirty house. God will not live in a dirty house. So you might think because of that, if God will not live in a dirty house, will he move out? Mm -mm, nope. He doesn't move out. He moves in and he cleans house. That's, that's what we're going to talk about. God doesn't move out. He moves in. And when he moves in, he begins to clean house. I just went away and I came back. And, and this will sound, you know, like more than it is. But we've, we've had a, a wonderful lady in our life that's been cleaning our house uh, for many years. She's like kind of like a, a daughter to us in a way. And, and I don't know how long she's been doing it, but she does an incredible job. And I always, when, when she calls me, you know, to say, can I come today, it's always Yes. Yes, please, please come. I'll, I'll, I'll move out. You know, I'll get out of the way because I want you to come in. I don't think we're that way with God, though, sometimes. I think sometimes we're protective of our dirty house. I think sometimes we're giving the, the house cleaner the husband and saying, no, 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 I don't, I don't want you to come in here. I, I think sometimes we like our mess. And then we get mad when we're in a mess we can't get out of, and then we go to the house cleaner asking for help, and he says, I, I tried coming several times, but you wouldn't let me in. See, you are that house, and God will do that work in you, that cleansing work, if you let him in. Now, our key text today is Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to be reading verse 12 and 13. Are you guys getting something out of this so far? Are you seeing where we're going? So I want you to see a parallel to Jesus in the temple and you as the temple. Matthew 21, 12 says, Jesus entered the temple courts. Jesus goes to church, everybody. And it's, he, gets, he doesn't go to church and sit on the front row and be quiet and sing kumbayas and put a few dollars in the plate. No, no. Jesus goes to church and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he says, it is written, my house, everybody say my house, shall be a house of prayer. But you all are making it a den of thieves or a den of robbers. See, our big idea is God is... God is not moving out, he is moving in. And when he moves in, he can shake some things up a little bit. And when he moves in, he deals with three things. I want to give you these three things. The first thing that he deals with is the profaning of the temple. You could say the desecrating of the temple. The profaning or the desecrating of the temple. I, I was toying with these two words, but he comes into the temple, and when he sees it's not clean, in a sense, he makes it worse. He starts flipping tables. He, he creates just kind of, it seems like there, it's a mess. In his mind, it's a big mess. And he makes it sometimes, it looks like it's almost worse. Because he doesn't want, he basically is saying like 1 Corinthians talks about, no flesh will glory in his presence. He didn't like what he saw in there. And you guys can see that. But desecrate, I looked this up, it means to treat something sacred or holy with disrespect, with irreverence. It's a violating attitude. It's disrespectful behavior towards something that is sacred. Wow. It, again, if you're the temple, 
Are you profaning it? Are you desecrating it? Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables and the benches. So Jesus is speaking there to this, this, this interesting, clever group of people known as the money changers. These, these, these money changers were clever in that they could mask the movement of money to their self-interests. Which, by the way, has happened in the church through the centuries. That's why we're audited every single year and get a clean audit and submit to high standards. Because it's, it's, it's prevalent sometimes for um, sometimes religion to get in there. And when religion gets in there, there's every evil work. Even in the church. Are you with me, everybody? Not in this church, praise the Lord. But people who would come to church at this time, they would come to worship, and part of their worship would be to bring an offering to the Lord, to bring, just like we do, to bring their tithes and offerings. But when they came, they had Roman currency, and in order for that offering to be made, it would have to be exchanged for, from Roman coin to temple coin. Is everybody tracking with me so far? This is just kind of a simple explanation of what would happen. And so the money changers would take that and exchange it, and everything seemed fine up to this point, uh, but they, they twisted it. Because what they did is they didn't do a dollar-for-dollar dollar exchange. They added a little bit of interest to that. Not sure exactly how much, but let's just say you brought a dollar of Roman coin, and then you would exchange it, and they would add maybe 25 cents interest to that. And then what would happen is that money that they got back that they had to pay interest on, they would then go to church, use that for the offering in church because now they have temple coin, and they present that at the offering, and then those money changes would take that money, go back out and sell it. And Jesus was ticked off about that because they were, they were stealing uh, from the people, but they were also stealing glory from God, tribute from God. Uh, from the house of God. And he's basically saying, you've made it now a, a den of thieves. And so we need to learn from this story that applies to us. We must understand there's a purpose for our temple. Your temple has a purpose. The temple exists for a purpose. The one purpose you have when you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were, you were called fundamentally, principally for one purpose with this temple, and that was to glorify God. Turn your neighbor and poke a little bit. You were called to glorify. Give him a Pillsbury dough poke. Poke, okay? <laughs> little poke, all right? You're called to glorify God. How do you know this? Because the Bible says so. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. This is one of my fast texts that I'm focusing on. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul's basically saying you, sh you, you should know this, but it, I'm not sure you do know. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with the price. It's not my body. I can do what I want to attitude is not a Christian attitude. I can, I can do this. I can do that. No, 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 no. When you became a Christian, you, you were bought with a price. You, you became, you don't have to sacrifice your life on the cross to pay for your sins, but you become a living sacrifice for God. You become, in essence, a slave for Jesus Christ, fully surrendered to him. He is your only master. You might not like that, but that's what it means to be a Christian, to have him Savior and to be also have him as your Lord. He knows your life will be better for it, and, and you will too if you fully surrender to that. But then he says, you're bought with a price, so honor God. One translation says, glorify God, listen, with your bodies. 
with your bodies. And so you belong to God. Jesus suffered, died, got on a cross, paid for your sins, paid in full. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know how to explain that. The, the most modern, impactful thing that I can think of to try to connect with that is when I watch The Passion of Christ. Which I, does anybody here watch that movie? Raise your hand if you watch that movie. Okay. That, that messed with me. That, that was like, Wow. And, and a lot came out of that. It was so moving. I had many thoughts. But one of the thoughts that struck me was, it was kind of a question that I felt like God was asking me through this movie. There was a lot of things that I talked to God about after that. But I felt like he said to me, Derek, are the things you're living for worth what I died for? Are the things with your body you're living for worth what I died for? See, we were bought with a price. Why? Because he loved us. What was that price? His life for us. Because he loved us, he gave his life for us. So back to these money changers. I hope you're seeing the correlation. Uh, they were taking tribute. They were taking money, but it really has a parallel to worship, to glory from God that belonged to him. And they were using it for themselves. That's how they were using the temple. They were using the temple for themselves. They were taking the tribute of the temple and using it for themselves. I just want that to connect. And that's what God was upset about. This is God's temple. Are you using it to bring glory to him? Or are you using it to bring glory to you? That's, that's what Jesus was upset about. And so a personal question. Is your body... And spirit glorifying, honoring God, are, are you truly a temple of God? Oh, PD, God knows my heart. This is what I hear all the time. I've said it. No judgment. God knows my heart. God knows I love him. I'm glorifying God in my spirit. In my spirit. He knows my spirit. Glorifying God. But let me just say, and this is important, you get this. Scripture says we do both. You, glor you glorify him, you honor him in your spirit and in your body. But it definitely says it in your body. We just read that a few minutes ago because the spirit part of you is what? Unseen. And the body part of you is, is seen. One is invisible. One is visible. And so, in essence, all you know about me is what you see through or from my body. Oh, you got to connect with this. Some of you just don't want to hear this, okay? I hope the people online are happier about this. But... All you know about, all you can know about somebody next to you, beside you, around you, or you yourself, is what you see through your body. Okay? So, PD, that's not true. I, I, know, I know about you by what you wrote. Yeah, but my body did that. That's not true, PD. I know about you because of what you think. You don't know what I think. You don't really know what I think. All you know about me is expressed through this temple. That's why it's so significant that this temple be honoring and glorifying God. I'm trying to get you to, I'm trying to motivate you to something higher than going on a diet in the beginning of the year. I'm trying to get you to see that it's not just about, it's not just about the, it's, de it's a deeper work. And if you see it, if you see as God sees, you can do as God says. That's what, that's what he wants you to see. Are you with me? So what you see is expressed through your body. Are you glorifying God outwardly in your body? People can see it. Are your eyes glorifying God? 
Before you watch something and you, 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 in a sense, God's like, the Holy Spirit is doing this, but sometimes we just go, what? We turn them down. He says, is that, is that glorifying God or is that glorifying me? Is that paying tribute to God or paying tribute to me? Are my eyes doing that? When I take that substance into my body, is that, see, some people want to argue over, oh, it's okay, you can do that, it's okay, you can do that. The Bible doesn't say this, the Bible doesn't say that. Listen, just principally, just principally, is it glorifying God or is it not? Yeah. Stop arguing about whether I can do this or I can't do that. Are you all right? Is everybody with me right now, what I'm talking about? You can see all the applications. I'm not going to get into them because some of you just get all upset about it. Because that thing controls you. Because you won't surrender that. Because you're paying tribute to that. And God wants you to pay tribute to him. And so I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a semi-easy one. Let, you know, like can, it, smoking cigarettes, okay? No judgment, okay? No judgment, all right? But if you smoke cigarettes, can you, can you say to God... God, I glorif God, I'm glorifying you while I do this. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, if you can't, that's telling you something. Okay? And if you're saying, I can't quit, that's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy. You can quit in Jesus' name. But I'm just trying to get you to see you, the filter for whether it's right or wrong is, can I honor or glorify God when I'm doing it? Can I, can, a filter for whether it's right or wrong is, can I pray about it? Can I pray about it? And, and so what are you doing with your eyes? What are you doing with your ears? What are you doing with your hands? Where, where are your feet going? Are, are, where, are you, where are you going? Why are you going over there? Why are you going into there? It, can you glorify God? I'm not trying to get legalistic in this church, everybody. I'm just trying to get you to see a lot of the reasons that you're not having the breakthrough, a lot of the reasons that you're not seeing your prayers answered, the power that you want in your life, and the elevations and the lid-lifting moments in your life is because you're not honoring God with your bodies. Okay? And so we can profane the temple because we're giving tribute to something else that belongs to God. Well, PD, at least I'm going to heaven. I may not be right in my body, but I'm right in my spirit. I'm right in my spirit. Just got to say that over and over again to just lighten it up in here. I know I'm not living right. I know my eyes, my feet, my hands are doing some things wrong. Oh, oh, Petey, but what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't, I mean, he clearly didn't live right, and he still went to heaven. You know, he's still, he's still okay. And I heard one guy say, sir, there's a big difference between the thief on the cross and you. He was a dying thief. You're a living thief. Whoa. Many of you are stealing tribute that belongs to Jesus Christ. Honor God with your body. Because this, this is what I want to say at the outset. Message one, maybe nobody comes back next week. We'll have a Gideon revival. <laughs> but I want revival in the last days. I, and, and I think some of you do too. I think it's connected to a clean house. Revival is when, like, the glory of the Lord fills the earth, but the glory of the Lord won't fill the earth until the glory of the Lord fills me. It starts individually before it begins to happen corporately. And God, God will not live in a dirty house. He won't live in a dirty house. So here's the second point. Jesus goes to church, and he, he deals with the profaning of the temple, but now he goes to purge the temple. He goes to purge the temple. 1 Peter 4, 17, for it's time for judgment to begin with the God's household. Matthew chapter 21, back to that text. Jesus goes to the temple. 
<coughs> he goes to church and he casts them all out and, and, and those that were selling and buying and he overthrows the tables and the money changers. And, and, and it just, you might think, well, you know, um, this is Jesus, right? Doesn't he, doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care about us? Yeah, he does. But he just, he can't be in anything other than a clean house. So what does he do when he wants to clean house? Listen, this is, this is, it gets tougher. If you thought that was tough in the last point, get ready for this point, okay? He brings out a whip. <laughs> he brings out a whip. This is just in your Bible. John 2.15 is a parallel text to this. So uh, Matthew 12, now John 2.15. Same story, new details in John. Jesus goes to church and it says, And he made a scourge of small cords. He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. How did he drive them all out? How did he do all that? How did he get them to leave? He had a whip. And he is whipping that thing all over the place, scaring everybody to death. Okay, No, no, not the loving Jesus, not God, not the Savior. Isn't God love? It's true. God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. We've said that phrase for year and year, years and years. What do you think he's talking about? He loves you so much that he will not leave the temple like that. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which, speak, which speaks to you as sons. One translation says sons and daughters. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for... Whom the Lord loves, he does what? He chastens and scourges. That's a whip. Scourge equals whip. When you see scourge, you see whip. When you see whip, it's scourge. And he scourges every son whom he receives. When, when I was a boy, they had a phrase, if you're not careful, your daddy's going to take you out to the woodshed. Some of you are too young to know what that means. It wasn't good. It wasn't to make something, okay? It was to break something. <laughs> Has your daddy ever taken you out to the woodshed? Figurative, literally, no, but figuratively, yes. Yes, I was, and, and I'm not pr promoting a disciplinary methodology here. I am promoting discipline, but not a particular methodology. Although, if you want to see me privately, I have strong opinions about it, and we have personal practices that have worked in our family life. <laughs> but I was spanked. I was whipped, okay? <laughs> and, and I didn't like it, Okay? Uh, the, the Bible says that, I mean, my sister and I, we used to get in trouble all the time together. I had one sister, naturally, because I only had one sibling. Who'd you get in trouble with the most? The one sibling. So we got in trouble a lot together. And honestly, even though I got whipped by my daddy, I, it, by the way, it was done in an appropriate manner, and, and there is an appropriate manner. It's like you're not hitting everybody all over the place. You hit them on the cushy part of their bottom. <laughs> he told me every time before he spanked me, he said, I want you to know, <laughs> it took me 40 years to believe this. You know where I'm going. I just want you to know, son, before this happens, I want you to know this hurts me more than it hurts you. How many ever heard that? How many said, you're a liar, father? You're the father of lies. You're, Satan is your father. <laughs> I did not believe that for the longest time until I had kids myself, you know. But, but then, he would, then he, would, he would whip us, and then after that, he would hold us, and he would, he would, he would comfort us, and he would we would reconcile. And so it was painful in the moment, but it was better. But my sister was so bad about this, and she always got spanked first, and I got spanked second. So I had to listen to her scream. 
By the way, her screams before she got hit were worse than during the hit and after the hit. So the torment of that was far worse, and I still have trauma from that, and I need therapy. But praise the Lord. <laughs> Verse 7 through 9 says, If you endure this chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are with, listen, if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons or daughters. See, what does this mean? If you make God's house a den of thieves, Jesus doesn't take a whip to people who are not his sons and daughters. He chastens those. When he does that, it's a sign you're a son and you're a daughter. It's a sign. It means he loves you. He, who gets whipped? Christians get whipped. Not, not non-Christians, not pre-believers as I like to say. So... Here's the tough part, but you might be in church, you might applaud a sermon, you might hear this and, and amen, you might even give a few bucks, you might go week to week, but if you're not being whipped once in a while or chastened, you might not be a son or a daughter. It's a sign. So once in a while when there's some chastening, it's a good sign. And, and the purpose of the chastening, listen, is to make you holy, a holy temple of God. A holy temple of God. It's because God loves you. God's trying to keep you from something that could literally destroy you. That's why sometimes he'll, it's, it's for protection, not so much for restriction. So why would he, why do he do it? Because he, he wants you to be holy. So then he goes on to say, no chase, the Bible says, no chasing seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, everybody say afterwards. It yields fruit, peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you ever get a spanking and say, man, I love that. That was great. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. I, I used to pray my mom would spank me because when Dad spanked me, it was a whole nother level. If Mom spanked me, you know, I could get through that pretty easy. My mom's in the, in the audience right now. I used to actually pad my pants. Mom just couldn't figure it out. Like, why is he not crying? I just like, oh, mom, do it again. You know, it just didn't quite have the same effect. But, but your father and your mother that, that see this the right way, they were doing all that for a purpose. They wanted, they wanted to raise you up in the nurture of the admonition of the Lord. They wanted, you, they wanted to be something that you, you could be proud of, not they could just be proud of. And some of you right now are being chastened. Sometimes a fast can feel like that. A little bit. It might, it might feel like the whip is out. That discipline, according to scripture, is for your profit, not for your loss. So there are two ways God cleanses the temple. Correction or chastisement. And the second way he cleanses the temple is uh, chaos or disruption. Correction or chaos. So when he made a scourge. A small courts, he drove them all out and at the temple and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the changes of money and he overthrew the tables. And so this, this God of order goes to church, walks in there, just starts flipping tables, throwing stuff all over the floor, running the animals out, running the people out. He created literally chaos in the temple. He created a, a disruption. Sometimes this is hard for some of you maybe in your theology, but he's creating a little chaos in the temple. He's disrupting things. And you know what? how it relates to you and me? Because sometimes you know what God will do with your plans that you've made for 2024? He'll flip the tables. Yeah. 
The things that you want to set out to do, the things that the course and trajectory that you've set for your life, not that he set for your life. Sometimes he'll come into your temple and he'll turn things upside down. Have you ever, have you, anybody have kids, got kids? Have anybody had kids that have fallen away from the Lord for a season? Yes or no? It's painful, right? You don't pray, oh God, just, you know, whatever their plans are, whatever they're out to do, whatever the success they're looking for, the things they're chasing after, just grant it to them, God. Give them all the desires of their heart. No, you're not praying that at all. You're praying that the wheels of the chariot fall off. Right? They get a flat tire that somehow, some way, God brings them back to himself. You pray, God, bring out the whip. Chasten them if you need to. And, 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 and they're praying in that moment, why doesn't anything work out for me? And you're on the other side going, it's all working out good. God's answering my prayers right now. Are you with me, everybody? And so I don't want them to have a well-thought-out plan for their life of wealth and prosperity when there's sin in their life, when there's no intimacy with God, when they're out of his will. I want Jesus to flip their tables. And God will do that with you. He goes into his own temple and he cleans house. So you can be profaning the temple. You can be purging the temple. And the third point is, last one is this. The third reason Jesus goes to church to deal with the dirty house is to remind us of the purpose of the temple. To remind us of the purpose of the temple. Jesus' objective is to bring us back to the purpose of your temple. What is the purpose? Well, look what he says in Matthew 12. Are you guys getting something out of this? Yeah. Verse 13, it says, It is written, my house shall be what? A house of what? Prayer. So if that relates to the temple church, it, all re it also relates to your temple. Your temple should be a temple of prayer. You know, in the Old Testament, there was in the temple an altar of incense. Did anybody ever heard that term before, the altar of incense? It would be in the temple burning before God, listen, continuously. It never stopped. The altar of incense was a picture, a symbol of prayer, of prayer. So God is basically saying to us as the temple that just like it was in the temple then, it is for our temple now. We are always supposed to be in a, listen, constant, never-ceasing status of prayer. But Pastor Derek, we have to sleep. We can't be in constant prayer. We have to sleep sometimes. I disagree. I believe you can be in constant connectivity with God even while you sleep. So, so like, for example, a mother uh, with a baby. Isn't it incredible? A mother is one of the hardest, is the hardest working person on the planet Earth. And when, and when they're so exhausted, so tired, they'll, they'll just catch a wink anywhere they can. They'll, plop, they'll just plop down right on the couch. Amazingly, uh, there can be fire trucks going by. There can be a TV screaming. There can be a teenager in the background with radio music. Somebody can be playing the drums in the basement, and they can fall asleep on the couch. But if a baby makes one whimper, they wake up. Why? Because they are connected to that child. 
They are in constant connectivity with that baby. When you pray, there is a place in prayer that God wants for you within your temple where you can be continually an altar of incense before the Lord, praying without ceasing, always offering prayers before the Lord. Are you with me? And just like the altar of incense rises up, God wants our prayers to be rising up on a continuous basis. Luke 18, 1 says, men ought always to pray. And never faint. Thessalonians 5.13. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. And prayer and fasting reboots, refreshes that, that desire. That altar of incense. And so I encourage you every day for 21 days to be seeking the Lord and praying. And if you don't want to, if that desire to pray without ceasing isn't there, listen to me. It's because you need revival in your temple. Did you hear what I just said? If you don't want to pray without ceasing, it's because you need revival in your temple. If you find yourself, oh, just uh, that, that's, a, that's a temple problem. That is a fitness problem within the temple. It was said of Dwight L. Moody, he never prayed long prayers more. But, but he never made a long prayer, but he never went long without praying. That's how we need to live our lives. Philippians 4, 6 says... Uh, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, present your requests to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you with me, everybody? So I think there's, unfortunately, another part of prayer is there's this divide between sometimes the sacred, and this is why you don't pray all the time, because you're separating the sacred from the secular. You think they're separate. Listen, are you ready? The, the word secular is not in the Bible doesn't exist okay you can present you can go to God with anything and and pray about everything to God anything and everything Philippians 4 6, 4, 6 tells us so this idea that they're separate uh, there was a story of uh, Dr. Charles Stanley Andy Stanley's father when he first began to pastor uh, First Baptist Church of Atlanta, he had a money problem and didn't know how he was going to get over it, calls his board, some of my board are in this room right now, calls the board of directors together, this would be an appreciated story. They didn't know how they were going to overcome this obstacle. Um, Brother Darren, Brother Justin, just think about this. And so one of the board members come, comes to the pastor, but first the pastor says, hey guys, listen, we got this problem, we need to pray about this. So one of the board members pulls the pastor aside and says, pastor, there's times when we when it's about the spiritual, and there's a time when it's business. <laughs> and how many know you got a big problem when you think that you can separate the sacred uh, from the spiritual? This is not meant to be divided. And he was trying to separate the two. Do not divide in your life the sacred from the secular. The best way to know whether or not we should be, we should, whether it's what God wants for us is can you pray about it? Can you pray about it? Can you, can you ask God, God, help me do this? And I want you to know the Bible says you can go to him about anything and everything. Would you pray, uh, would you pray God, help me be successful at the casino this weekend? <laughs> I hope not. You can't pray about that. You should pray about that. That's ridiculous. God, I pray that you make this super cute guy that I just met at the bar who does not know Jesus and wants to sleep with me tonight, doesn't even know my name. Would you, would you bring him into my life permanently? No, God's not going to answer prayers like that. But people pray stupid things like that, okay? And so there are things that we should pray for, like when the Spirit of God prompts us to pray for people and think about people, amen? And sometimes that's where intercession comes in. 
part of praying and fasting is there's times when we have intercession and prayer. So the purpose of the temple, let me give you these three things and I conclude, is this, all under number three, is it's a place of prayer. Your temple is supposed to be a house of prayer. Constant, never-ceasing prayer. It's also supposed to be a place of power. Go back to the story, Matthew 21, 14. Matthew 21, 14 says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So another part, of the, another part of what should happen in the temple is there should be power. There's not going to be power <laughs> if, we're not, if we're not first making it a place of prayer. God, God's, there's no answers without prayer. There's no healings without prayer. But there's people that are blind and there's people that are lame or you could say blind and broken that need to be healed. And Jesus healed them in that temple. Right out of that mess, in that chaos. He began to minister to people and heal people. And by the way, signs like that, healings, signs always point to something. See, some people follow signs, but signs point to things. Don't follow signs. Signs point to things. Signs point to something or someone. Signs point, are supposed to point us to the bigger things. See, every time somebody gets healed, they're going to get healed again. See, the bigger miracle isn't that people get healed even though we want that to happen. And I believe there's going to be more miracles in 2024 than in our church's history. And I'm praying for that. I'm praying for the blind and the lame, the blind and the broken to be healed. I promise you I'm praying for that. But it's always going to be supported as, as long as I'm your pastor to the greater miracle, which is souls. Because souls are the only miracle that's eternal. It's the only thing that's, that's significant. Think about it. When Jesus, when Jesus referenced John the Baptist... He referenced John the Baptist as the greatest. He called John, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Guess, get this, in John chapter 10, it talks about him. It says he did no miracles. All he did was point people to Jesus. No miracles, but Jesus said John was the greatest. So never forget that there need to be miracles. There need to be signs and wonders. But don't follow those things because they'll get you sidelined from the bigger miracle. The greatest miracle of all is when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, invites him in and says, clean my house. This is a dirty house. I'm a dirty sinner. I need a savior. I don't know how to do it by myself. I surrender. I submit to you. And I need you. I invite you in to come in and to change me from the inside out. That, when somebody comes down the aisle, gives their life to Jesus, surrenders, when hundreds and hundreds of people give their life to Jesus, that's the greatest miracle of all. Can I have an amen in this church? Praise the Lord. So your house is to be a house of prayer, a place of power, and lastly, a place of praise. As the worship team comes, verse 15, it says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful works that he did, and the children crying in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were lifting up the name of Jesus. Listen, I don't want to be a church that just sings about me, me, me. I want, to, I want to be a church that lifts up the name of Jesus. When we come this Friday night for revival nights, I want you to know something. We will be glorifying Jesus Christ. And when we do that, something powerful always happens. Can I get a commitment from this room and from people listening? Listen, can we make it a priority to be at our revival nights all through this month? Amen. And let's believe God for revival. If there's going to be revival in our church, there has to be revival in me. Amen? Say, if there's going to be revival in our church, there must be revival in me. Stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. Because when you become a house of prayer, when you make it a place of power where there's miracles and signs and wonders, listen, I promise you, you will automatically 
It's like day and night, as automatic as that, it will become a place of praise when you give yourself over completely to him. You say, Pastor, that's why I come to church. I come to church to worship. Friends, I want to encourage you, don't just come to church to worship. Come to church. Bring your worship to church. Bring your worship to church. Be a worshiper 24-7. I want you to be a, a people of God that are praying without ceasing. I want you to be a people of God believing for God to do mighty works in these last days. Can I have an amen? And I want to be a praising church. Can we give the Lord a big praise right here in this room? Can we just offer him our thanksgiving? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. So don't miss this Friday night. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to worship our way out of here. Come on, raise your hands. Extend them to heaven. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that, that what I have said that is of you, God, would stick like Velcro to their souls. I pray, Lord Jesus, for personal revival. Personal revival for every single individual in this room that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. May they be filled in the name of Jesus. I pray that you not fill their stomachs with the things of this world, their eyes, their hearts, their minds, even their physical stomachs. Lord, we're not going to live on that word, that anymore. We're going to live on the manna from heaven in Jesus' name. I pray that your word come alive, Lord, in their private times, in their devotions, in their prayers. I pray that you visit them early in the morning as they seek your face. I pray they have encounters with the Holy Spirit, that you give them dreams and visions, and that you help them see what God has for them in the coming days, Father. I pray that you remind them of their purpose that their purpose is to glorify God I pray that we glorify God in our bodies in the name of Jesus Lord I pray that people would see Jesus on us that people would look at us and say is there something in my life that people see that is worth praising God for I want to be that kind of church Lord, all locations, all that are listening all over the place, I pray, Lord Jesus, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is here would go wherever they are in the name of Jesus, that there would be personal revival. Come on, church, get in agreement with me. There would be personal revival that would sweep from person to person to person, almost like in an upper room where cloven tongues of fire came down upon the people, and it was visible. People could see the revival. I pray for visible revival in Connect Church in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we ask that the dove would find a place where it could rest. The dove is another symbol, another picture of how important it is to have the Holy Spirit in our life. So as we sing this song, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit into your situation. Invite the Holy Spirit into your circumstances. Invite the Holy Spirit into your journey. In the name of Jesus. All locations, God bless you. Online campus, God bless you. Everybody, let's continue to worship God as we do right here, right now in Jesus' name. Amen.